Hi everyone, I'm Megan Gladbach and this is Jobs and Journeys. Today I'm talking with Dee Kemp, a Free State High School security officer who has been awarded the Local Hero Award from the Lawrence Lions Noon Club for all the service projects that he's done. These projects include the Race Education and Development Read Project that distributes books about civil rights and black history through little free libraries. Kemp volunteers to collect school supplies, holiday meals and gifts, and other items needed for students and families. He plays sand declaws during the holidays, among many other service projects, such as Kindness is Key and the Dress for Success clothing closet. During our conversation today, we talk about these service projects as well as the formative stories behind what led Dee to start and participate in service work. I think Dee has so many important lessons to share through story. And he really exemplifies that your job and passion don't have to be confined to your paid work. Dee is a full-time relationship builder And when I say full-time, I don't mean just 40 hours a week. I mean 24-7. Some of the most important and meaningful jobs in the world are those that require you to put in much more than 40 hours a week and are rarely monetarily compensated. I'm talking about the job of being a parent, being a friend, caring for a pet or a gardener, cooking dinner, volunteering... D may be a security officer, but in today's episode, we're talking about D's real job, Chief Relationship Building Officer. We can just kick things off, <clears throat> okay. and I'll let our listeners know a little bit about the background. D and I um, have a budding relationship because we've been getting together quite often because well, last time I tried to record, it didn't work, so it was very sad, but Dee has graciously offered to return and uh, to come again on our podcast, Jobs and Journeys, to talk about his, so I get to hear his journey again, and I think we'll get to hopefully get into other pieces of it too, because it's really hard to like capture someone's life in well, it's really impossible. I yeah. mean, you can't, you just can't do it. There's things that you can grab onto and people write memoirs or they, yeah. you know, create artwork that captures small moments about their life, but you can really never capture the whole thing. But that's okay. We're here to just capture a small moment that's it. and uh, share it with everyone else. So... Dee is a security officer at Free State High School. And Dee, how long have you been here? I have been in uh, Free State. This is my fifth year. This is your fifth year. And I was at Lawrence High for seven years before that. Okay. And you've been in uh, Lawrence for 21 21 years. Okay. 21 years. Okay. Would you share with us what what your story is prior to Lawrence? Well, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I'm originally from uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I uh, grew up there, and uh, I went to college. And after college, well, I decided that I didn't want to play football anymore. I got tired of playing football, and I played football my whole life. And I wanted to do something different. So I, uh, I wasn't 18. So I couldn't sign up for the military on my own. And my mom was deadly against me going. So she was like, no, we we find something else. Go, you know, do school, do school. And I just had it in my head that I, I wanted to do the Army. And so my uh, some of my family members, my cousin, who uh, I used to go visit a lot while he was in the Army, they all kind of talked to her and explained that you know, the Army's not what it used to be. And so they finally convinced her that it was okay. So she talked to me a little bit about it. And, you know, we, of course, they always make these promises that they really can't guarantee. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, that 
most of the promises they gave me, I got. And then um, my career took off and I was really good at my job. So they kind of gave me a lot of leeway to come and go as I wanted to and, you know, do what I wanted to do. So my Army career was great. I had a blast with that. But um, prior to that, I um, I guess most of my life I've been, a, you know, an advocate for kids. Um, even as a kid, we, uh, we had a family that lived the house behind my house, and um, they had smaller kids. So I didn't have any younger siblings, so those kids were my little brothers to push around. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really a pusher like that. So um, I would just take care of them and, you know, keep my eye on them and help them out. Well, their parents were, like, tied into drugs and kind of drug users. So they neglected a lot with them. And uh, I actually kind of got in trouble because I would sneak food out of the house and feed them or, you know, give them clothes and stuff like that. And uh, mom never really, you know, yelled at me or anything about it, but she just kind of noticed that food was disappearing and nobody else fessed up and I wasn't going to fess up. So um, we we had an incident where uh, one of the kids had an eye infection. And, uh, you know, I'm probably seven or eight years old and I just know one of my brothers had an eye infection. And I knew the medicine that my mom gave him. And, you know, when you eight, you don't count, you don't grasp that you can't give a teenager the same medicine you give a five-year-old or four-year-old. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't know that. And uh, so we're at the back gate, the back gate of my yard and their yard connected. So his little brothers and sisters were holding him up over the gate. And I'm trying to stand on, I don't know, a bench or a chair to try to give him the eye drops. And my nosy neighbor, the old lady that lived next door that could never see anything but saw everything, she called my mom and said, uh, hey, uh, is D giving the kids next door something? Like he, he's trying to put something in that kid's face or give him some medicine or something. And my mom, of course, freaked out and come flying out in the yard and you know, she stopped us, and when I explained to her what was going on, she looked at the kid and realized that it was a, a major problem. So um, she didn't second guess it. She just reached over the gate, picked the kid up, picked all his brothers and sisters up, loaded them in the car, and took them to a doctor. The doctor just happened to be my doctor, like our family doctor. And um, him and my parents had been friends for probably 50, 60 years. So they, they knew each other and knew everything. And um, so he, you know, looked at the kid and checked him out. And, of course, he told my mom if she hadn't brought that kid there, the uh, infection would have been so bad that it would have blinded him. And so my mom wasn't happy. But uh, so she had all the kids looked over and the doctor was like, well, everybody's good. They're not eating enough. And so my mom goes back and uh, we go back to that house and she told us not to come. Your neighbor's house, right? We go to my neighbor's house and she makes us stay in the car. Well, my mom goes into this house and this is a house with, you know, nobody knows what's going on in there, but we know drug use is going on. There's a bunch of people in there and my mom didn't second guess it because one, my neighborhood's close neighborhood. And everybody out there knew my mom. So nobody was gonna say nothing crazy to her or, or try to do anything to her. So she wasn't fearful of that. I didn't I didn't grasp that because I'm eight. But she goes in there and you see people flying out of that house, like running, like running for their life. I'm like, what's going on? So don't get out of the car is the last thing she said. So I see all these people running out of this house, so I got to go check. I need to go make sure my mom's all right. So I get to that door, and I hear my mom yelling at the the parents. And she was saying just 
I can't believe you guys treat these kids like this. You live in this filth, and you got these kids watching you guys do all this stupid stuff. And and she just went, just went, you know, told them what they needed to hear, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she convinced the mom to go to rehab. And she told the dad, I know the landlord to this house, and you're not going to be allowed to be here. You need to go get your stuff together. So dad leaves, mom goes to rehab, and the kids move in with us for about uh, two and a half, maybe three months. I'm thrilled to death because now I got somebody to quote unquote push around, but not really push around, just to kind of lead. You know, I I get to be a big brother. Mm -hmm. So I'm all about it. And, you know, just all the the kid stuff, you got somebody to play with. And so uh, mom cleans up, comes back, and uh, the kids go home. And we, I mean, we're right behind each other. So I see them every day. And uh, I just went from there. And it just, it's always been a thing about, like I can never watch a kid be like hungry or go without. And so that just kind of followed me through, you know, high school and college and army and just life after that. Yeah, that was yeah. a really formative time. And your mom sounds like she was amazing. Oh, man, the best. Yeah. I know everybody say that about their moms, but. I learned so much from her. I mean, mm-hmm. I, she was a special, special person. Yeah, yeah. So now, so how do you go from growing up in Alabama? How do you get to Kansas? How do you so, get to Lawrence? So um, the Army brought me to Lawrence. I. Um, I moved here because I thought, well, I was married at the time, and we moved to Lawrence because, at one, I didn't want to move back to Alabama because I didn't feel the opportunities to grow over there, and I figured I had a better chance coming somewhere else and trying it out. Mm-hmm. And so we moved here, and um, we was happy, happy for about seven years, seven to eight years. And then we just realized we didn't want the same things in life. And so we moved on from there. Um, everybody thought I would have packed up and went home, but Lawrence just has this thing that it, once you get here, you don't want to leave. And so that was kind of what happened with me. I liked Lawrence. Um, it was just, I mean, it was a, it's a supportive city. Mm-hmm. I often hear that from yeah. folks. Um, yeah, I think I was telling you that I um, started working at Lawrence Public Schools in August of last year. I had moved over from, I was living in Salina, Kansas before um, living here, but last semester I was actually living with my folks in Shawnee, Kansas, so I was commuting, and I, um, my boyfriend, my partner, and I just moved to we were renting a place. Um, we started renting a place in December of this past year. So we've we've just been here, I guess, like two months now. But it really, it's, you know, I had one of my best friends went to high school here at Free State. Um, so, and I met her while I was in college. And uh, Lawrence always seemed like, I don't know, people from Lawrence, who, at least who grew up from Lawrence, not necessarily just went there for KU. They have this, they have nothing bad to say about yeah. Lawrence. They're so, like, proud of where they come from. And yeah. I uh, I think a lot of people are drawn to that. Yeah, it is. It is a great place. Yeah. Well, and I think people like put in effort to make it a great place too yeah. like you and like all the like projects that yeah. you've done here do you want to talk a little bit about yeah yeah um so um one of one of our big projects is uh we do uh thanksgiving and christmas baskets that is a huge huge project so um what that started with was uh 
we realized that people would struggle around the holidays. And so a lot of times families didn't have, you know, Thanksgiving. You're supposed to have a Thanksgiving meal. And a lot of people weren't having those. And it, the reason was is they didn't have the food or the money. And so um, we had, I had started a program probably about 10 or 15 years before coming to Kansas where we would help families like that during the holidays. And so here I am in Kansas and I see the same things and I'm like, maybe we should do baskets. And so we started doing Thanksgiving and Christmas baskets. And it, it started out just food. And then uh, like for Christmas, I, uh, I got to thinking about it one day and I was talking to a buddy and I said, you know, we give them a, a meal and we give them like food and like a gift card somewhere, a uh, grocery card. And um, what do they do outside of that for Christmas, like for the kids? What if the family can't afford to buy Christmas presents? So then we kind of hashed it out and figured out, okay, well, let's just buy each kid like two or three little small gifts. And so we did that the first year, and then kids liked it, and the parents were so much happier. And it's, <laughs> excuse me, and they just loved the idea. So we just kept running with it. And um, the more and more we did, you know, the happier people were. And, you know, just seeing kids happy is what made it, you know, all worthwhile. So um, after that, like, we started, I started watching just, you know, the people around me and kids around me. And I started, like, mentoring, like, kids from, like, I don't want to say broken homes, but, you know, like a single-parent house or kids that, you know, weren't with their parents or constantly in trouble in school, stuff like that. So I started reaching out to these kids and, you know, and I realized that that's what I wanted to do. And so a lot of my uh, my jobs here, you know, I worked in the juvenile detention center. I worked in the one here in Douglas County. And then I went to Topeka and worked in the one there. And, you know, being there, I saw so much of the same stuff and you know talking to those kids and we got kids there from all over Kansas you know Kansas City and Wichita and Topeka and you know just western Kansas and they all had the same basically the same story you know I'm here because I was forced to sell drugs because I needed to help my family or I was in a gang and you know and those cycles don't get broke because that kid gets out of there goes right back to that situation and comes right back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the thoughts came up, how do we break that? How do we stop that? You know, let's, okay, let's work with these kids. Let's get them to go to school. So when they get out, they've already graduated high school. Well, then we got this, well, we got some schools, uh, Fort, I think it was Fort Scott and uh, Fort, Fort Hayes, Washburn uh, Tech, and they all brought programs out there to help these kids. So basically college courses that they could take. And when they graduate from that, when they get out, now you got a trade that you can use. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those kids got put in water treatment plants and you know just all kinds of stuff. Uh, they had like a carpentry uh, facility out there. They built sheds. And uh, you know some of those kids, you hear some of those stories coming back. One kid in particular was from Kansas City where he got out works in a water treatment plant, makes about 35 bucks an hour. And he keeps in contact with me. He told me, he said, hey, uh, once a month, we're gonna have a dinner. And once a month, he contacts me and we have a steak dinner and he pays for it. Wow. He's, he has a kid and they're getting married, so it changed his life. And he tells her all the time, yeah, if it wasn't for this guy, I wouldn't, you know, and I'm like, no, you did the work. I was just there with you. But so, um, you know, I, I figured I could bring some of that stuff to Lawrence. You know, not that Lawrence had the same problems all these other places got, but they do have some of the problems. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, we started small. We did a couple uh, back-to-school drives, kind of help get school supplies and, you know, backpacks and stuff and we do free haircuts 
We do free haircuts around Christmas. We do them also around beginning of school year. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids all want to come in looking fresh or crispy or whatever the new <laughs> word is. What's the new word? A lit or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it's a new word every week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we do that. And so, like, so basically from August, we start focusing on July and August, we focus on uh, back to school stuff. And then uh, September, we start going into Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, so my whole thing with Breast Cancer Awareness was I had a few instances with people and like not really somebody that I knew until later. I knew my original pull to that came back to my grandmother and I didn't know it. But uh, so I, uh, I would... For 31 days, I would wear pink or some kind of breast cancer wearing a shirt. And then it would be shirt and socks. And then when COVID showed up, we went to masks. So, and it was just, just a response I would get from people out in, in the community. Like I would be walking down Mass Street and this lady would just come up out of nowhere in tears, like thrilled to death. Like, can I, can I just give you a hug? And I'm like, sure. You know, and she'd hug me and, you know, say goodbye and walk off. Well, her husband would come up and explain to me she just beat breast cancer or her mom just beat breast cancer. And that was all the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so then that made me think, "Eh, just up the game a little bit. And I just, I I got more and more into it. And um, just the response from people with that was awesome. So uh, last year, last October, we had our first 5K run. And we raised about, I think about $3,500. And we donated it to the LMH Oncology Department. We had a, uh, another girl that used to come to one of the bars I work at. And uh, she, she was diagnosed last year. Well, I'm sorry, yeah, last year. But then they came back and told her that she had a year left to to live. This girl is 26 years old. Do you know how crazy that is? And Mm. what's even crazier is her mom. She lost her mom at, I think, 30, I want to say 36, 37 years old. Wow. And can you just tell that girl that? She's 27 years old. So she's terrified, and here I am, some guy, some security guy that used to take care of them at a bar, but we kept in touch. And uh, one of her old friends is a friend of mine that works, she's a bartender, and she told me about it. And so I was like, no, let's, we're gonna do something. We're gonna help her out. So we raised about $800 for her, and she came up for the, the breast cancer walk and participated, and just sitting there at the table with her talking, at the end of it, she was like, you know, blown away by it. And she's like, next year, we're gonna, me and you're gonna run this thing together. And I was like, cool, it's like, all right. So that gave me some hope that she wants to fight if she's making plans to be here next year. So that's good. So we, we you know, that's one of the things you just pick up and you keep with you. Um, in November, of course, we do Thanksgiving and Christmas. We do Christmas. Well, about uh, four years ago, I was approached to be Santa at Van Gogh. I had never been Santa. Uh-huh. I mean, I've always been Santa, but I've never put the suit on and uh-huh. went and took pictures. And so I was a little nervous. And then... Uh, that was a big deal. Yeah. And my mom said, told me, I, was, I told my mom about it, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what to say to those kids. Or, you know, she's like, you talk to kids all the time. She's like, you are the only person I know that can walk into a room with a crying baby and the baby stops and is staring right at you. Or you go over and pick the kid up and they stop crying. And she's like, you're the only person I know that can do that. And she's like, so I don't know what you're worried about. So we get there and we do the, the uh, Santa and it went over awesome. The first time I'd ever done it, I think I had one or two kids cry, but 
one kid, she was just not hearing it. There was <laughs> nothing nobody could say, but her parents actually had to hold her and sit next to me. And so she finally stopped crying. But then one kid, his parents like just walked up and sat him on my lap. And of course he started crying. And so instead of freaking out and panicking, I just started talking to him. And I was talking to him in his ear and then he realized, okay, maybe he's not the monster. Because <laughs> you, you see a kid and you put a kid on somebody with a white hair and face and all this stuff and he freaks out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's and, very uh, strange. Yeah. <laughs> and so that kid like stopped crying and like looked at me and one of the photographs that they took was when you could see me talking to him and then you see him stop crying and look at me and the photographer caught that caught that moment so that's that's one of my favorite pictures wow and uh but after that kid not one kid cried and we had a blast and it was great and so the next year came and they asked me to do it again and I was like yeah like you know I was thrilled to do it I'm like yeah yes let's go well, also with them, I had two or three other people or three, two or three other groups that wanted me to do it. So we did it. You know, I went to everyone, did everyone. And then uh, we started the next year off and COVID happened mm. and the school shut down. Well, um, when the school shut down, everybody was isolated. I, I had been isolated for... I think we had two weeks that we couldn't come out. And I had already been in the house isolated for a week and a half. So everybody's two weeks turned into three and a half weeks for me. So it was miserable. I was ready to get out of that house. So I get out of the house and school's closed so you can't go to school, can't go to work. So I'm like, man, I gotta find something to do. So I started volunteering at Just Foods. And that was great. I had a blast. And they were thrilled to death to have me because they. I get there and they're like, hey, I, my question was, what do you want? What do you need done? And they were making boxes for families. And you got to think, this whole town is basically shut down. People can't, nobody's had, nobody has food. Grocery stores are low on food. Mm-hmm. So all of the stuff that they were giving out, it was record numbers. Like, you know, they could have went from the previous year of doing a thousand families a month to that year doing eight thousand families a month. I mean, it 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 felt like we was making boxes forever. Like every day, I would go in there and we would make boxes, thousands of boxes for food for people, just every day. And uh, of course, they all credit me with making that run smoothly making that, you know, helping with the assembly line, helping with, you know, moving stuff in and out, you know, putting, getting food to people. And I loved, I I had a blast. I loved doing that. And uh, so about maybe two and a half months into that, the uh, schools foundation reaches out to me and they say, hey, uh, we're doing uh, school lunches would you be interested in helping us like, run one of the sites? And I was like, yeah. Because now I get to see kids. So they've been locked up at home, and I've been locked up at home. So I, I, you know, I miss my students. So you get to see them again. So I was like, yeah. And uh, we get up there, and so I took over the Hillcrest site. And I would see three or 400 families a day come through and pick up lunches. And, you know, just hearing those kids laugh and, you know, happy to see somebody, see somebody they know or recognize. And uh, so we did that, and that was great. I had a blast doing that. Um, And then uh, these kids that got their school year taken, like the seniors, these guys, they're graduating. You know, they missed out on football, well, not football, Basketball season got cut short. Spring stuff, track, baseball, all of that stuff they lost. So, um, one of my friends had reached out to me and she said, Hey, do you know anything about this adopted graduate? And I was like, I don't. I said, But I will. So I tracked it down on Facebook and 
talked to the lady that started it, and I was like, hey, how can I be involved? And so she told me. And so what they would do is they would find kids that was graduating from Lawrence High or Free State, and they would kind of reach out to the family and say, hey, you know, what is this kid like? And they would, you know, you would gather this stuff up, like if a kid liked baseball, and you'd probably give them a baseball jersey or something, or a basketball jersey. Well, you know, you get like their favorite snacks or, you know, gift cards. If they were going to college, you'd get like stuff for them, the dorm room or, you know. And so we uh, we started doing that. And uh, some of the parents, some of the other people kind of was like sending me emails like, hey, can you leave a kid for somebody else? Like, <laughs> why did you share? Yeah. And so we just... Uh, we tried to, uh, I tried to, you know, work with everybody, but we ended up just picking up kids every time they came up. And uh, I actually ended up picking up uh, a couple of kids from Eudora. Mm. Um, one mom got on there and her daughter was graduating from middle school and going to high school. And she just asked, she's like, hey, is it just for high school kids? And nobody responded. And I was like, she's a graduate. It don't matter, she's graduating. And so I like reached out to the parent and I said, hey, you know what? She's graduating too, it's important to her. So, And uh, so I adopted that kid and we, you know, me and a bunch of my friends, we ended up adopting, I think, 28, 28 kids. Wow. And we had a blast doing it. It was so much fun. And, uh, and you know, just talking to those kids, like when it, when I took the basket to them or took whatever we gave them, and uh, they I always wanted to take a picture in the family. And uh, I I remember driving to Eudora, and this mom and this mom and dad in Eudora. When I got there, like I had talked to them, but when I got there, they were just like tears. Like the dad was like, "Man, my kid doesn't even go to your school." Like, we don't, we don't live in your town, and you go out of your way to help, you know. And I was like, man, we're in a situation that nobody's ever been in. Nobody on earth can tell you they lived through this before. Like, nobody. And I said, it's brand new to all of us. So we, you know, we don't make it if we don't pull together. And he just kind of looked at me and was like, thank you. Well, so a lot of those parents keep in contact with me. And so I know what those kids are doing and where they are. And it's awesome. I love that part. I love that feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just, you know, we breeze on through it and get to uh, the summer. And we uh, realize that, okay, they're going to let us come back to school part-time. All right, let's go. So we do a back-to-school drive. That goes well. And then you know, haircuts go well, and you know we go into breast cancer awareness, and just you know breeze through all that stuff and get to Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, my, uh, I lost my mom uh, November thirtieth, and before she died, I remember talking to her, like I think back in October, because Van Gogh had already said, they had already counseled Santa mm. because because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just kind of freaked me out. Like, And I, I was sad about it. And my mom called, and I don't know how she always knew, but she always knew when I was sick, but she always knew when someone was bothering me because she'd always call. And uh, I remember this day because she called and I answered. And the first thing she said was, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? She's like, well, you didn't sound okay. And I was like, I answered the phone. All I said was hello. <laughs> like, what did, you, what did you get out of hello that told you something was wrong? And she just kind of giggled. She's like, she's like, baby, I know you. She's like, you, I've, you've been my son my, your whole life. She's like, so I know when something's wrong. And I was like, I don't know how you know it. You don't know me. And so she just, like, she flat out told me, she's like, something's wrong, so tell me. 
And so I tell her. And she said, and I could, I could just see her face with the straightest face. Do it yourself. And I was like, what? She's like, do your own salmon. And I was like, I can't. And she's like, why not? She's like, you got all these friends that own restaurants and bars and stuff like that. Do it at one of those. And I was like, she said, um, okay. She's like, so you got you got a Santa suit? And I was like, nope. I said, I, I guess I can try to find one. So um, my phone beeps, and I look at it, and my mom had made a deposit into my checking account. Mm. And I look at it, and I was like, what is this? And she's like, go buy your Santa suit. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. She's like, do it yourself. She said, because think about this. This is the worst year that anybody's ever had. She's like, if there is a year that people need to see, that kids need to see Santa Claus, it's this year. She's like, and you will be shocked at how many grown-ups, how many big kids will be thrilled to be around Santa. She said, so do it. And I... After I got through talking to her, I called my buddy on a black stag, and I said, hey, man, what would you, how would you feel if Santa came to black stag? And without a second guess, yep, yes, we're in. We're in. We would, help, we would set everything up. We would help. And so that's when Sandy Claus mm-hmm. was born. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and just from that year, that it's grown so much. Like mm-hmm. uh, that year, they couldn't do they couldn't do the Santa on top of weavers, so somebody reached out to me because they knew I had did Santa, so they reached out and asked if I would be willing to come to the Lawrence Art Center, because they were going to do an online Christmas light ceremony, and so I agreed and I went and we did it and it was awesome. I had a blast. Well, a friend of mine has a daughter that went to a preschool. And her preschool teacher wanted to show to int- introduce them to Santa, so I went and did that. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun with those kids, and I've done that every year. Um, and every year it gets more and more, like more and more stuff happens. I got uh, the same year of COVID, I did the hospital. Mm-hmm. I got to ride around in the fire truck and be Santa in the fire truck. Just. Uh, so much fun um and just you know going through all that and this is just great great Lawrence is a great place to be right now yeah yeah it absolutely is I'm very grateful to be so welcomed into the community and I'm excited to mm-hmm. continue my journey here I have one more question for you for before we part ways again okay and i have um a like i've been thinking about this the whole time we've been having this conversation um because this podcast that i'm creating is for it's intended for students or educators to use as a resource for folks who you know are on a journey trying to figure out what their passion is in life and like um that's why i call it jobs and journeys because i'm just having conversation um, with people about like their jobs and the journeys that brought them there and i love i've had such a great time doing this because everyone has such a unique path to their job yes and something that i think is super valuable about this conversation is we haven't formally talked about your job which I think demonstrates that your job it doesn't have to be the thing you're paid to do and I think it's so important that students understand that yes and but it's hard to did you ever grapple with that when you're like I mean me sometimes I have like I'm a musician for example so I like really love to play music but it's not you know the thing I get paid to do so yeah. I'm like oh yes I, so do you want to could you yes, talk about I, that I, 
I have a perfect the perfect story for that. Okay, let's hear it. So I was uh, when I was working at the detention center, juvenile detention center in Topeka. Mm-hmm. I I thought I had got to a point in life where I needed to do something different. So I went to uh, I was transferring out to go to uh, Gardner, Kansas, to do uh, adult residential. Mm-hmm. So basically. Um, it was a place that they sent people that they didn't want to send them to jail or they didn't have like a they weren't jail they weren't they weren't locked up but they had to stay in this facility during the day well during the nights mm-hmm. so they they can go work their jobs and then they had to come back there and so I go there and everything is great you know I Jobs okay. The job's good, but it's not really what I'm supposed to be doing. And I didn't know that until after I had been there for a while. So I had been there about maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. And before I left my juvenile detention center, the director of the school had approached me because he found out that it was my last day. And he came and talked to me, and he said, uh, Mr. Kemp, he said, what is this I hear about your leaving? So I told him, I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to uh, ARC. And he was like, what? Why? I said, I just, I feel like I need to do something different. And he said, well, I, I wish you would have talked to me. He's like, because I would have hired you to teach in the school. And I was like, I ain't, I'm not, I ain't no teacher. And he says, you got two college degrees. He said, we can get you back in school and in a teaching program. He said, until then, we can get you a teaching certificate. He said, and I will help you with any of that and all of that. He said, because I see your interaction with these kids. I know how much they respect you, how much they love you, how much you love them. He said, so if you get there and it doesn't work out, you can always come back here. He said, you have a job here. Well, so I didn't know this, but the director of ARC and him were best friends. Like, and I didn't know it. When I met the guy, would have never thought it because um, the director of the school was this old white guy that a lot of people didn't like because he was firm and he was, he was, he ruled with an iron fist basically. I mean, he was fair, and he did everything that the kids needed to be done in a facility like that. But his people that worked for him thought he was kind of mean. He was that he was that boss that wanted react. I mean, run wanted results instead of you know reaction. And I loved it. I loved that he was the way he was, and that's why we got along. And one of my buddies told me he's like, "You like him because you don't work for him." And I'm like, what does that got to do with it? I said, he, he's holding people accountable for what they need to be. I'm like, this is not the place that we need to just let people do what they want to do. Like, that's what got them here. And so, uh, so we always had a really good relationship. And so I go to this ARC job, and I'm there. And the director came in and talked to me one day. And this is when he explained to me that him and Greg were friends and he's been watching me this whole time to see how I was how I was working out and that him and Greg talked once a week and the talk was usually about me and about him send, him sending me back and so he finally just came down to me and talked to me and asked me about it and he said what do you how do you do you like the job I said yeah well in my head I had already decided that you know when I'm dealing with adults that can be my parents, what can I teach him about crime when I'm 36 years old and he's 60 and he's been doing crime for 50 years or 40 years? How am I supposed to rehabilitate that? Mm. I can't. And so, and I told him that and I said, you know, I kind of miss working with kids because my life experiences can help change a kid's life, you know, 
it it can deter a kid from continuing on that path. But and he said, uh, okay. And he released me from my contract. No penalties, nothing. He said, man, Greg wants you back. He needs you up there because since you've been gone, that place has fallen down. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like, he's having a hell of a time. And so I was like, wait, what do you mean I can go back? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to release you out of your contract. You don't, there's no penalty. He said, if you ever want to come back and work in Johnson County, you can. You know, this is my phone number. This is all of my information. If you ever need a reference or you want a job back here, call me. And so I, uh, I walk out of there and I'm thrilled to death because I didn't, I, you know, I wanted to be there because I had signed a contract and that was my job. But my heart wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And I realized then that I had to always be somewhere where I was working with kids. Mm-hmm. And so, so I go back and we fix it. Um, and that's when we brought in, you know, all these trade programs and all this different stuff and kids are leaving and not coming back. And so I was like, cool, all right, yeah. And so when I get there, um, so I'm there probably another four years. And then uh, the state of Kansas has a bunch of budget cutback stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and usually when they cut stuff, they usually start in facilities like that. So our school went from, I would say, 35 employees to about 15. Like you've taken half our people. Wow. And in that time, they shut down the female facility in Beloit and brought those girls there. I mean, it was probably 15, 20 girls. But you cut our teachers in half. Then you put a whole new program to educate in the, in the whole thing and with less teachers. So we're, you know, one, we're already overworked, and then you bring more kids. Plus, kids were coming in so much, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Well, um, the next year, they wanted to cut it again. And there was, a, there was an older guy that basically did the same job I did. And uh, he didn't make the second round of cuts. I did. But one of my buddies from there, uh, one of the other teachers had moved to Lawrence. He had moved to Lawrence High School. And he was working down there, and he taught a behavior class. So he reaches out to me and was like, man, I know the perfect job for you. He said, you can come down here and work with me in this behavior class. He said, it'll be perfect. You don't have to try to Topeka anymore. You still work with kids, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I don't know how the second round of cuts is going to go. And so I was like, I said, well, I made the second round of cuts. And I said, but Randy didn't make it. Well, Randy is 63 years old. Never going to make the job. Never going to get that job anywhere else. Nobody's going to give him that shot. So I went in to my boss. I said, hey, um, I'm leaving. And he's like, what? I said, yeah. I'm I, I'm taking a job in Lawrence. I'm mm-hmm. tired of driving up here, and I don't want I don't like the fact that next year I might not have a job. And he just like he understood, and he was like, "Okay." So I go to Randy. I say, "Hey, you can have my job." And he looked at me. He's like, "What?" I said, "I just put my two weeks in." He's like, "Why? You made the you made the cut?" I said, "Yeah, you didn't." I said, now, if I go, they ain't going to bring nobody else in here to train all over again. They're going to keep the person that knows how to do the job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, I'm not going to take a job that you quit because you want me to have a job. I'm like, I was leaving anyway. I said, I don't like not knowing. And he said, dude, they always have to have a school here. They're always going to need a behavior teacher. I'm like, yeah, and that's you. Mm-hmm. And I left, and it hit, that guy calls me once a week just to kind of talk to me or pick my brain about stuff. Oh, yeah, with updates and yeah. advice. And I get all kind of information from him because he's in the facility like that, so any new gang stuff, he feeds me. Mm. He gives me information on it. So I I can talk to my SRO about stuff, and 
you know, she sees stuff and we talk and compare notes and she's like, yeah. So, like, we don't have a gang problem here. Wow. If we do, we nip it in the bud right away. So, um, and you fast forward to here, or uh, fast forward to me coming to Lawrence, and I went to Lawrence High School and had a blast. And uh, probably four or five years into that, um, my buddy's a security officer over here, where he gets a wood shop job and he wants to take it because it's more money. And so they're like, well, we need to get another security guard. Well, Lawrence High had four because we had a guy that was deployed with the military when he came back. And uh, me being the only person, the only security guard that didn't have like a family or anything like that. So they was gonna, one of us was gonna have to move over here. And I just felt like all those guys got families and they all live on that side of town. If they had, if one of them had to move, it would mess with their setup. Like mm-hmm. if somebody had dropped their kids off. Right? Mm-hmm. Now that guy had to leave earlier, got to wake his kids up earlier. Now, it's just me. I can drive over there the same time I drive over here. So I, uh, I switch and I take this job. And, uh, I get here and tell the administrator what my thoughts are and hey, you know, you asked me to come over here. So when I start shaking people, you know, rattling cages and ruffling feathers, you asked me, I didn't ask. And uh, yeah. I came in and, you know, right out the gate and, you know, kids would be, kids would say, man, how are you all over this school? <laughs> I just, I, you was just on the east end of the building telling me to get to class. And then I'm over here on the west end of the building by the gyms, and you're already here. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that, you're not paying attention. Because you probably walked past me three times on the way down here. And that kid was like, man, I'm not going to be able to get away with nothing now, am I? And I was like, <laughs> nope, pretty much, nope. And just from that, like, kids talked. And... You know, I would hear, like, parents would call me, like, people I knew that had kids here. Like, they would call me and be like, oh, my God, my son came home today, and he couldn't stop talking about you. He's like, we got this new security guard. He's all over the building. He's, like, making kids go to class, and, you know, kids won't they, that won't go to class, he's, like, putting them out of the building and telling them to get out. And, like, and they just, it was, it was, so, it was so cool that they felt like, hey, I can go to school now. I can be there. It's, I ain't got to worry about this and worry about that. And, you know, it was just, it was crazy. And, but people just don't get that kids understand more than they think. They all want to be safe. Mm-hmm. No matter what they portray, they always want to know that they're secure and they're safe. And if you can give them that, you you got their loyalty. And they will, you know, they will take care of you and, like, you know, stuff stuff's going around. Like, we never know everything. And I tell people that all the time. Like, but I would have kids call me or shoot me a message or send me an email. Hey, uh, I think so-and-so has something that they're not supposed to have at school. And I'd go pull that kid to the side, bring him in. they check his bag. And, of course, there it is. Nobody knows who told me. Nobody knows how we even know. All they know is, yep, I had something in my bag. I got caught with it. So, but, and that all happens when you build relationships. And so that that's one of my favorite parts of this job, you know, the relationship I build with these kids. And when they leave, the, the change that it put in their life. You know, when a kid comes back and tells me four years later, Man, you changed my life. Like, I would have never went to college. I would have never got married. I would have never went in the military. But I met you and I did all three of those things. Like, nobody in my family graduated high school. Now I graduated college. I got a wife, kid, a career. All because I met you. And when I met you, I was one of the worst kids. But you, every day. 
you brought me to class, you put me in class. He said, you physically pushed me into a class one day and told me if I walk out of there, you're probably going to fight me. And that kid said, I ain't never been scared of anybody in my life. He said, well, I was not coming out of that class. <laughs> and, uh, and I laughed about it, and I was like, you know what, man, I remember that day. I said, but you was a butt that day. I said, you was, oh, dude. He's like, yeah. He's like, and I knew after that day, I realized that I had made you mad enough that you told me that. And he's like, I knew then. I'm like, yeah. And he said, after that day, we never had a problem. And I said, yeah, you're right. But he told me that's what happened. He's like, that's where it came from. He's like, mm. sometimes you have to get in their face and tell them, hey, this is your life. If you don't take charge of it, you're going to be like your friend. So that's what I love. Um, well, you know what you said, and you know, I think really, if you could give yourself your own job title, like, yes, D is a security officer at Free State High School, but what you really are is you're like a relationship builder, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, in whether it's at Free State or whether. It's with your Dress for Success clothing closet or Sandy Claus or yeah. Kindness is Key Efforts, just all across. That's, I mean, our jobs are, they're a part of us. You know, yeah. they're a part of our identity. But like, you know, we said earlier, uh, there's no way to totally encapsulate yeah. and explain everything that your, you are. Your job is your life. Your job is who you are. I mean, it, like like we said earlier, if you think about it, the thing that you're most passionate about, that is your job. That's what you find in your job. Mm-hmm. That's what makes you stay there. Like if you have a job that, you know, and a lot of people work jobs they don't like. Why do you think they stay? Because they're scared. Well, <laughs> they're scared. Yeah. Two, they find the things in that job that keep them there. Mm-hmm. So, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been frustrated with the school district or frustrated with administration, and I wanted to leave. Every time I get to that point, some kid comes up to me and says, hey, Mr. Kemp, and I'm so glad you're here. If you weren't here, I wouldn't be here, or you're the only reason I come to school. That gives me the fire to stay another month. Mm-hmm. Three months down the road, something happens and I'm ready to go again. Some kid will come down and say, hey, are you leaving? I'm like, what? Well, I heard some teachers talking about you leaving. What? I'm like, yeah, like, you can't leave. You can't leave at least until I leave. So when <laughs> I graduate, you can leave. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You're a freshman. Yeah. So you got to be here for four more years. I'm like, oh, man. And, you know, that stuff, that is the stuff that keeps you there yeah you know those little things make you stay and make yeah. you do but yeah so yeah well thank you so much d for sharing your time with mm-hmm. us again and i'm really eager to you know you're in the middle of your journey there's so much more is, that yeah, will still happen so, much to go, yeah. so i'm excited to get updated on the continued story yeah well, I, uh, do you know who's the Grand Marshal for the St. Patrick's Day Parade? Me. What? Yeah, we had a, uh, they told me last week, and I just kind of wanted to wait to uh, let them make it official. And then I would talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So we had a, yeah, we had a meeting last night, and they introduced me to the committee. And Exciting. So, so we'll see you soon. That's right. See you soon yeah, at soon. the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yep. coming up. Coming up. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Jobs and Journeys with me, Megan Gladbach, and our guest, Dee Kemp, today. I'm looking forward to staying connected and continuing to learn about how we can help each other gain exposure to new careers and build both leadership and teamwork skills and develop our talents together.
Thanks again for your excitement to share your gifts and skills with us, Dee. Looking forward to my next guest speaker. Who could it be? I don't know yet. So if you're interested in hearing an interview from someone in particular, feel free to contact me. My information is in the show notes. Until then, have a great day. Bye.